Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Erica. And I'm Allison. And before we start, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. If you're enjoying Because the Beatles, and why would you not? Feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. You can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Yay! It's finally here! Hi! I'm yes. so excited we're doing this today. Me too. I am, um, yeah, this is such a going to be such a fun show, and I'm excited to talk about the Let It Be with all the goodies and the remixed Let It Be tracks yeah. uh, by our friend, by our, our best friend now, Giles Martin. Yes, friend of the pod, Giles Martin. Yeah, who remixed this glorious set. So we've got the main disc, and then we've mm-hmm. got five more discs, one being a Blu-ray DVD. So if you've got the Super Deluxe, it's pretty crazy. Right now, it's all up on Spotify. I, I'm assuming it'll stay there, but you know you can stream it if you don't have your set yet. It's a great lesson. And yeah, if you're a lucky duck who has a Dolby Atmos system, you can hear the remixes in Atmos on the sixth disc of the Deluxe Edition. So that's that's pretty cool. Another thing to look forward to that they kept the tradition going with this box. So. Yeah. So now that it's finally released, we're going to do what we always do on great, exciting days like this. We're going to go track by track on the main disc of the album and talk about our impressions about the rest of it. And we're going to play little snippets of the song, but feel free to put on your own copy and play it along with us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just we wanted to give a little bit of background on this album. Usually it's thought of as kind of like the redheaded stepchild, I think, of the Beatles catalog. (laughs) For a lot of reasons, it was obviously, as a lot of people probably know, it was recorded before Abbey Road, yet it came out after. And there's a lot of reasons for that, too. And a lot of it has to do with Alan Klein, who the Beatles sort of brought on to manage them after Brian died and after lots of like kerfuffling around and You know, he had been in the business and managed the Bee Gees and all kinds of other people uh, with his company, Abco. So he got kind of involved in this and it was him who decided to make the documentary because the Beatles had to fulfill a three picture deal, which we talked about in our Yellow Submarine episode many years ago. Episode two. I was going to say that was our (laughs) second episode. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the Let It Be songs that ended up on the album were obviously in the documentary. So his grand vision was to make a soundtrack to go along with it. And I think if the Beatles would have had their way, this all this stuff that we hear on the album would have just been buried, mostly, because obviously they didn't revisit any of it for uh, for Abbey Road, except, we'll get to it, there are some early versions of the Abbey Road tracks on the deluxe edition. And even some early versions of solo album tracks, which is very yes. cool. Yeah, so this Unlike the majority of Beatles albums was not produced solely by George Martin. It was produced by Phil Spector, or as George Martin had said, it was produced by George Martin, but overproduced by Phil Spector. <laughs> but love it. Yeah. Basically, George Martin, though, was MIA for this thing. And he was the Beatles said they wanted to do something very back to basics and sort of homegrown and kind of shut him out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is definitely missing George Martin, um, you can feel his presence kind of not being there the whole time. Giles actually told NME recently, I have the legacy of my dad talking about what an unpleasant experience Let It Be was and how upset he was. It hurt him. 
The Beatles said they wanted a live album and didn't need him to produce it. And then Spectre did everything they said they wouldn't do. That hurt him, and I think it hurt Paul, too. He does pop up from time to time, like on the bonus tracks of the set, which is nice to hear him. There's one track where George Harrison asks him, how's Judy? And they talk about, you know, George's wife and Giles's mother. His presence is definitely lacking, but they did have Glenn Johns, who obviously prolific, legendary producer engineer. I'd worked with Stones and so many other people in the booth to somewhat produce it. It's everybody kind of had a hand in this a little bit, like a lot of different um, studio personnel, but Glenn Johns was at the boards. So you'll hear in the set, them talk to Glenn. John very humorously called him Glennis uh, a lot. So Glenn Johns is also the one who put the Get Back album, which was buried until the 80s, kind of went back to revisit these tracks and assemble them in the order that the Beatles would have wanted them, which is not the same order as we have on Let It Be, but in the set, disc four is the original Glenn John mixes and uh, is in the running order. And it has a couple of other tracks that were left off of Let It Be, but were included there. That's actually one of my favorite parts of the Super Deluxe to kind of hear that original take on what somebody who was in the room the whole time might have thought the Beatles intended for it. There are clearly a lot of reasons why they didn't go with that version of it, too. So you can see, again, kind of the story of this thing playing out. And like we talked about in our interview with Giles, like it continues to play out till this freaking century when Paul decided he needed to do his own take on it and he did Let It Be Naked. (laughs) So... Right. It's just never it's a whole other animal. Yeah. And we'll we'll have to do more in depth episodes on both Let It Be Naked and on Phil Spector. Oh yes. I've definitely wanted to do a Phil Spector episode for a long time, so we will, for sure. And one more thing about the Glenn Johns the Get Back album that he assembled. It definitely has a different feel to it than the Let It Be album because it was sort of set up to mimic that documentary feel. It was more of a soundtrack, which is what Alan Klein wanted. It has some different chatter snippets than you hear on Let It Be. It definitely sounds like a studio recording. And I don't mean that in the way like Giles puts you kind of in the room with the Beatles and you feel like you're sitting next to them. It just sounds like it, you're in a studio. It's like you're watching the documentary and they're playing. But I mean, it's great to hear it for historical purposes. It's cool also to compare those versions to the new remixes. I've also been going back and re- like re-listening to the 2009 remasters and all that. And it's just like, it's so night and day, you know, mm-hmm. with um, what Giles has done. There's something about whatever it is that he does. And I don't know what it is, but he just, he brings certain things out at the right moments that were always there, but you never really noticed them. They kind of melded back into the soup of what was going on behind the vocals or whatever. But he, yeah. he, it's like he makes the instruments like characters in the story of the song. And it's really interesting. It's very living in a way. Yeah. It's refreshed too. It's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we're going to go track by track. We'll also talk a little bit more about our impressions of the other discs and a little bit about the new Get Back book, which was also released this week. It's the standalone coffee table book. First book the Beatles have released under their name since the Beatles anthology. It's basically a transcript of the Let It Be sessions. It's different from everything that's on the um on the records and on the box sets and everything. And so it's a really nice companion to all of the things that are coming out now and next month. 
Yeah, not to mention the gorgeous photographs, which, I mean, so many new images of the Beatles. It's always an exciting day when you run into pictures you've never seen. So, you know, thank you to Ethan A. Russell and, of course, Linda, you know, for for being there and taking these gorgeous pics. So definitely we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, run, don't walk to get your copy. It's totally worth it. It's great. 100%. And I've heard that there's a version they're selling at Target that has some kind of poster inside or some extra things too. Yeah, repro of the lobby cards for the film, which is very cool. I've seen people who have gotten them like on Facebook and Instagram and they look awesome. So that's something extra there. So if you're near Target, that's the place to get it. So you want to go through this track by track? Let's do it. I'm excited. Yes, we come uh, out of the gate very strong here with track number one, Two of Us. Uh, um, hello. Definitely one of my favorite Beatles songs of all time. Top 10, maybe top five. I just love it. And I don't know how he made it even sound better, but it was absolutely chilling in the yeah. way like we were just talking about, like he just pulls these things out just at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. So the book that's included in the Super Deluxe, it has a track by track which, Erica, I know when you first were listening to the album, you sort of read the track descriptions along with the, the songs, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is so cool. It's really fun. Yeah, and it tells the story of how the songs were written and recorded and which takes were used where, and it's very, very cool. And so, of course, two of us, written mostly by Paul, it's Paul's song, about when he and Linda were getting together and they put the sheepdog Martha in the back of the car and drive outside of London and Linda would be like, let's just get lost. And they would just hang out, you know, in nature and get to know each other. And so, you know, a lot of people looking at you guys, you McLennan shippers out there think it's about <laughs> uh, John and Paul, which it's become kind of the quintessential John and Paul song. You know, you see the images of them sharing a mic very much in like an Everly Brothers style, which they, you know, really emulated in some of the bonus tracks on this set you hear John singing the song in like a, a twangy sort of accent to mimic that sort of country Western style, kind of like early Everly Brothers. This remix is like literally Paul's on one side and John's on the other, and you're sitting kind of like with them as they're playing and singing the song. It's insane. Yeah, and there's one part, it starts around 48 seconds in, the chorus starts over and the guitar comes in and then the bass drum and then the second guitar and then I guess the bass on the electric guitar and then like it just comes in and then John and Paul sing perfect blended harmony on top. It's like this, it, it felt to me for the first time, I was like, this is actually a skiffle song. Like the way it, mm -hmm. that like that country western thing that you were just talking about, but it had this beat behind it that like the only thing missing was the washboard bass and yeah it really like it's kind of the first in what I've noticed throughout this album is like this tour through John and Paul's shared youth and it's not just one after 909 I found like 10 different instances just going through this one disc on the album that really felt like the whole premise of get back like they were really starting to think about 
themselves and their career in that in that in that same sense. And you see on in the little book, the um, you know the track by track book that Paul even wrote a Quarrymen original at the bottom of the handwritten lyrics for two of us. I thought that was so cute. I, I, I love that. Well, something that I didn't know. I thought there was a bass on the track. I always did because I was like, damn, that bass line slaps. And I was always giving my, you know, hats off to Paul for it. Uh, nope, no bass. It's George <laughs> playing the bass part on electric guitar. So I'm like, damn, George, that was that was a hot move. That was great. That blew my mind when I yeah, saw that. <laughs> I, I had no idea. Right? I was like, holy shit. This whole time, the whole time. It's like a Mrs. Doubtfire moment. Jesus. It's crazy. It is crazy. And speaking of George, track two is Dig a Pony. Oh my God. Yeah. So good. George like pones the song hardcore. his guitar in this mix is brilliant and while everything is just so like cohesive and crisp and sharp that really stands out over the other let it be mixes like just how badass george was by this time in the beatles career yeah absolutely and you know dig a pony we have nonsense lyrics uh obviously the fucking title is dig a pony um <laughs> and but, you know, of course, as people do have read a lot into them over the years, there's a famous scene, I think, in the Imagine film. I might be wrong, so don't at me. But there's a fan that shows up at, you know, Johnny Yoko's house and is like, what did you mean by, you know, some of the lyrics and Dig a Pony, like syndicate, like all this stuff. And John's like, it's, it's a song. I just put words together. Like, and that's very much in the vein of what John would do. You know, I mean, even growing up. So there again, you know, you sort of have something that's very classic John. You think of like art school John would have written Dig a Pony. There's a section in the Get Back book, which is the transcript where John and Paul are like, George has asked them for like help on like, I'm stuck on what to do next with the lyrics for whatever song he was working on. And John was just like, just say whatever comes out of your mouth. It doesn't matter. Cauliflower, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that little snippet too. So, oh my gosh, we didn't even mention yet the trailer. For this film, we'll have to do a whole other episode just on the trailer because Jesus Christ. While you wait for that, one of my favorite Beatles podcasts, Screw It, we're just going to talk about the Beatles, put out something about the trailer. They put out an emergency episode all about the trailer. So I'm going to direct everybody after this, go to the Screw It feed and listen to them because they're amazing. Oh, hell yeah. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm excited because I I love when those guys do a podcast. So great. But so that snippet where John, it's so George is working on something and he's like, attracts me like, I don't know. What is it? And that's when John says he offers up cauliflower. That's in the trailer, the the photo or the film footage of that. But that snippet is also in the bonus discs here. It's so charming to hear that. And it's like, yeah, of course, John would say that. It's so great. Classic. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, so speak, great. and nonsense lyrics. This is the second thing I'm tracking of calling back to their youth with I Pick a Moondog, where Johnny mm-hmm. and the Moondogs was one of their early band names. There we go. It's so, you know, I had like so many moments of reflection when listening to this album, 
because number one, it's like listening to it the first time always when Giles does these remixes, but also it's like there's a part in the bonus discs where uh, Paul breaks into Please Please Me. I think he's playing Let It Be yeah. and he breaks into Please Please Me. And I, I just had a moment where I'm like, it hasn't even been that long since they recorded Please Please Me. It's been like, what, like five years, six years, depending, you know, and it's like. When you these you know pick a moon dog or these the Quarrymen original whatever you just realize how short a time span it was, and how fast they evolved. But also like they are still those guys and they are still making this album together. And you know that kind of adds a lot of weight. Yeah, and it, it's it's really interesting because I feel like especially in these later albums we we cut them up and we kind of put them into sections of the Beatles career. There's the Sgt. Pepper and then the White Album and there's the mm-hmm. Abbey Road stage and there's the Let It Be stage. All of these specific stages that we're obsessing about and overanalyzing, they're like three, four months apart at the most. You know, the <laughs> White crazy. Album dropped in, in November of 68. This started, this was January of 69. They started recording Abbey Road late February 69. It's That's just crazy. All that happened in less than a year. That's insanity. Like, yeah. yeah, that kind of pace. And yeah, it's it, it just blows my mind. It really does. It was less than a year from the Maharishi to the rooftop, which is so crazy. <laughs> oh my God, that's insane. And not even to mention the number of hairstyles and clothing right? choices they made over that one year. How freaking fast. Like, yeah, totally different looks from, you, you know, and you see them in India and then you see them on the roof. But it's like, OK, these are not the same people. They look completely different. As a kid learning about the Beatles, like it seemed like it was like 40 years between Please Please Me and Abbey Road. Yeah. And it wasn't. And so when you hear, you know, Paul break into that, it just it blew my mind for a sec. I was like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> like... It's so funny. And then, you know, you have them doing songs from their youth, like one after 909, they break into another song that they wrote, like, I think in 58, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So that's sort of like the fascinating thing, I think, because this is obviously bookends the Beatles journey as their last album released, not not recorded. But, you know, it's just, I, yeah, it, it, it won a special place in my heart. So I had to just go there because we were talking about, you know, pick a moon dog. It just <laughs> jogged, jogged my memory, pulled up my heartstrings a little. Next track, Across the Universe. Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my opened mind, possessing and caressing me. This is an interesting song to me because when I hear it, I hear, and maybe I'm being crazy, but I feel like I hear Abbey Road Studios in the song, or you can Mm. hear a very specific echo that they got when they recorded in Abbey Road Studios. I'm not really sure, but if if it's something about the room or if it was the way it was the tapes were piped through i'm no i don't know but it seems like one of those things yeah. where giles giles would know and i wish that i had thought about this to ask him he said he'd come back so we'll call him on that one and <laughs> get him back on here on my list yes i think 
maybe part of it could be because it was recorded so early. It was, you know, it was remixed. It was reconfigured a few times, especially in assembling this. And the Beatles played it in the studio. Uh, you'll see, you see them in the documentary playing it. But actually, the track itself was recorded in 1968, in early 68. So that could have been part of it because it was just maybe it was recorded like say on a four track instead of like a you know an eight track or whatever. Oh, possibly. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it's actually not super early because it's what like not even a year before they're recording Let It Be, but it seems like ages. But you know what it is? It's like that's when he was working more closely with George Martin and he he was asking him, like, not for this song, but he's like, make it sound like I'm on the mountaintop. You know, like he would always give these instructions and he was kind of in that phase of his vocal career or whatever where he felt like he didn't like his voice and needed to do things to his voice. And he kind of has this echoey feel that maybe it was actually manipulated earlier than the let it be sessions were that were supposed to be kind of like raw and untouched and so it does have a different feel i don't know again a question for giles but yeah it does have this different kind of ethereal feel that to me i more associate like with julia or some of the other white albums yeah i could i could totally see that yeah absolutely I think um, what stood out for me in the remixes, like I just, I've always loved that damn tambora mm. on this song. Just that drone is so, it just sort of hypnotizes you. And it sounds so great on <laughs> this remix. It made me just fall in love with that all over again. It does. This was one of the most immersive tracks, I think. Yes, and that's this, a great word for it. I loved it. Like you put it in headphones and you get the big cans on your on your ears and you just feel, close yeah. your eyes and you just feel like you are in the room, like swirling around with the rest of the sound and with John. It's crazy. And this happens especially mm-hmm. on John's song. There's something about the way John's voice works with this kind of mixing that just makes it feel otherworldly. Yeah, absolutely. And this was the first song on this album where we hear the choir overdubs and some of the like more obvious like wall of sound Phil Spector stuff. I think that really adds to that swirling sound. But mm-hmm. in in this mix, instead of like hitting that wall of sound, it's like you're kind of sucked into this swirling kaleidoscope of sound. That's a perfect description of what this is, yeah. I don't love the choir itself. I think it's, I don't know. I think it's like mixing the Catholic church with like an Indian religion to me. It it just feels like it's the wrong thing. Spectre loved a choir or like a chorus for this album. And of course it famously pissed Paul off, which we'll talk about in a little bit. (laughs) But... But I think what's something that's really interesting about Cross the Universe, I just feel like there are so many versions that exist in different places. I was thinking yesterday about some of the ones on the anthology and, of course, you know, the Let It Be Naked, which I don't, I find that version to be creepy. (laughs) Like, I don't like that version. (laughs) You know, I do like the versions that exist here. The one on disc five, I believe, the little EP, Mm -hmm. is uh, prominently features, you know, the... uh, the female background singers, which yes. we'll get into. Definitely more next week. We'll be talking about those. You can pick the across the universe for the mood you're in. There's plenty to yeah. choose from. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Moving on to I, Me, Mine. Now the
I love this song. I loved that. I mean, you know, it's classic George. We've got his tongue in cheek. George, when he's feeling salty, mm-hmm. it changes tempo, but it starts as a waltz, which you will recognize, or it, probably what comes to mind is the famous clip from Let It Be with John and Yoko waltzing. And it's to this song in the doc, which I didn't know. Like the only happy moment in the Let It Be original movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my God. I know. We really need to do an episode about the original doc if we can track it down. I haven't seen it in years, but yeah. Um, I love this track. I love the um, disc two version and the bonus material. And I just got a little bit happy because George um, name checks uh, Dave D. Dozy, Beaky Mick and Titch, which is like another 60s group. I know it's very, uh, it's a tongue twister. Great group though. And the music is awesome. If you haven't heard them, check it out. It cracks me up when they sort of name check their peers, if you can even say that. But um, Dave D had just left the band. So George sort of makes a comment about that because John was away for this. He wasn't there when they recorded I Mean Mine. Just just maybe a little like giggle a little bit. It was great. Well, that's some of the best parts about these extra features. It's like it may not add like new songs. Yeah, actually, it kind of does add new songs sometimes. But it's more about like just kind of being in the room with the Beatles and hearing their everyday life. Yeah, totally. It's a shame that John was not there because George, Paul, and Ringo fucking kick ass in their yeah. instrumentation in this this new version. Incredible. Yeah, they they definitely do. And I always thought uh, it was Billy Preston on the electric piano, but it's Paul. And I'm like, damn, that's great. You know, George and Paul, I think they their harmony on the song is it's very underrated, I think, in the Beatles world, that combination of George and Paul. And their harmony slaps. It I'll does. Say it. It does. <laughs> it sounds great here. Yeah, and Paul on electric piano. What can't the man do? <sighs> yeah, I know. It's Paul. Well, you know what? I took the baseline, the non-existent baseline from two of us away from Paul. So I'll give him the electric piano on this song because it's great. He thanks you. So let's do dig it. So this is Billy's first appearance on this record, the fifth Beatle from this album, Billy Preston, which we definitely need to do a Billy episode. Yeah. He, such a fucking talent. Uh, R.I.P. Billy Preston. If you think about people who were there at the very beginning and the very end, they met him in Hamburg. He was playing yeah. with them on the stages of Hamburg and like rejoined them for this album. I know. Oh, so cool. I mean, so cool. Another Billy Preston himself is another callback to the early Beatles days that I'm trying to track throughout this album. That's so cool. Yeah, he's like the biggest Easter egg, I think, because, I know. you know, I, I had forgotten about that. And it's like a lot of people probably don't know that. I wonder if there's any footage or any recording of that. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah, I've never seen a photo have I? I'm trying to think if one exists of the Beatles and Billy Preston in Hamburg. I'll have to do some investigating. If you if you guys know of anything, let us know, because that would be just so cool to hear them. For sure. Also featured George Martin on The Shakers. So first real appearance of George Martin, and he's shaken some percussion. Great. That seems like a good way to utilize his talent. Yeah, it's definitely a sign of where he was in this process. Yeah. I mean, you know, how the mighty fall from that epic 
keyboard organ solo in, in my life uh, to the Shakers on Dig It. Yeah. Congrats, George. <laughs> well, he'll be back for Abbey Road. That's true. That's true. He comes back. Don't worry. This is a weird one because it fades in. That's a weird way to approach the clip. Yeah. And well, and that comes from uh, the Glenn John mixes because he sort of did it that way. Dig It was a cut down, which we have the full versions. We have a couple of different incarnations of them in the bonus discs. But you get to hear exactly where it's faded in from in relation to like the full track. So that's interesting. But yeah, it is. I, I remember thinking that the first time I heard Let It Be, I was like, that's odd. And it's so short and it's faded in. Hmm. Weird flex. They're always willing to try something new. And if you think about the way they piece together the Abbey Road side to medley, it kind of is a precursor for, you know, snippet. You know, a song doesn't have to be a full song. It can just be a little piece of brilliance and we're just going to put it on as it is. And it speaks to also that you know the documentary feel of the what the album was intended to be because it is sort of like them just kind of jamming or fooling around in the studio it feels really solo john it really gives that feeling of like him and you know 1974 at madison square garden like it feels like that john to me more than oh, anything yeah. it's really cool one final reference one second reference to uh, <laughs> tracking back to their their childhood again on this song at the end you hear that tiny little that little falsetto voice i think it's john who's like that was can you dig it by georgie wood and now we'd like to do aren't the angels come that was a reference to a pantomime performer called we georgie wood who the beatles would have regularly heard on the bbc as kids it's a very random reference. You hear these things your whole life on these Beatles songs. You never bothered to look them up. So thanks for looking it up because <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I think once you start hearing more of the secondary discs and all of the things that they did kind of on the sidelines, it's like, oh, what is that reference actually? Yeah, it's it's cool. And speaking of the um, other discs, there is a version on disc two where John is on the lap steel guitar, which he, he does periodically. He plays it again on For You Blue, which is kind of famous. But but I I love it when these rando instruments pop up because I never think of the Beatles and lap steel guitars. So, yeah, seriously. You know, it's cool. And there are obviously photos of, of John playing the lap steel in the studio, and there's some um, in the books. But I, I think that's, yeah, I just always like when that the random instruments pop up. Yeah, for sure. And did you like the Glenn John's version of this? Uh, <laughs> Erica's baiting me because she sees a note that I made about this. So <laughs> I just wrote Paul's reggae bullshit because he, like <laughs> John's version, there's like some, uh, Paul's doing a bunch of like reggae improv in the back. And I was like, oh my God, of course, it's like, here comes Seamoon, oh you know, cropping up here. And then John sort of joins in. I was like, oh, don't encourage him. John, what are you doing? John must have been so annoyed because they had just been through Obladi Oblada. Yeah. I mean, literally months exactly. before this. I'm, I'm like, what is going on here? I feel like I'm in an alternate universe. Like, either somebody's like trying to, you know, Glenn Johns was trying to kind of craft a narrative around the fact, you know, that they were breaking up, but here's a nice little moment of them collaborating on this odd reggae backing thing. Or John just sort of humored Paul for a minute. Who knows? <laughs> So uh, let's move on to the, the kingpin on this album, one of the kingpins, Let It Be, the title track. Let it be, 
you could really hear Giles's touch on this one, I thought. You could hear the different instruments, you could hear the bass, you could hear the maracas, you could definitely hear Linda's voice and the backups, which I liked. I think she was much more blended in than some of the earlier mixes. George's guitar solo, which of course is is unique to the album version of this, and it's it really kicks ass. And even the way Paul hits the piano keys, like especially like harder on the lower octaves, which is left hand, maybe because he's left handed, I don't know. But it's one of those things where I've never in my life thought about that until listening to this and hearing all of the different ways that the instruments come in and out and feel played. They feel like somebody's hands are on these instruments, you know, not that there Mm -hmm. was any manipulation afterwards, which is really interesting. To me, this was Phil Spector's best use of the choir sound, I think maybe because it was like, you know, it's a Christian sort of feeling and there's Christian sort of undertones with the Mother Mary kind of themes in the song. And so it it just fit better. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Mother Mary, Erica, there you go. Yep. One more, one more callback to the Beatles past. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I enjoyed in the track well enjoyed is the wrong word but in the track by track paul of course tells the story of this which we're not going to tell because go look at literally any interview paul has done in the past oh five or ten years and he tells the story five so or it's ten become a meme <laughs> there were a lot of comments online like thank god paul finally told the story of how let it be happened <laughs> yeah exactly oh my god oh lord um no, I, I agree. I, I don't even really have that many comments because I just think the whole thing was like, just uh, like everything else. It's a revelatory experience hearing it. And I think you're right about the instruments. They kind of take on their own little personalities. But I, I just thought it was gorgeous. George's guitar has always mesmerized me on this song because for this really touching ballad that has, you know, a lot of like tender moments, his guitar sounds so blistering on this yeah. song. It always has. But yeah, it really, really stood out on these remixes of Let It Be. It's so good. Which is interesting, and we'll talk about at the end, how in the the last disc, disc five, is a very short disc, and it only has four songs, and one of them is the Let It Be, the Giles Martin remix of Let It Be, but the single version rather than the mm-hmm. album version, where the main, the main difference that I hear is that the solo is completely different, and that crazy hardcore solo just isn't there, and it's, it gives the middle part of the song just a totally different feeling yeah yeah totally different it's so cool let's move on to maggie may because this is all about the childhood experience oh dirty maggie may they have taken her away and she never walked down line streets anymore oh the judge she guilty found her up in the home of two of us reminded John and Paul of their skiffle days, that reminded them of this song, which was an old sailor's chant that both professional and amateur skiffle bands played back in their day, including the Quarrymen and the first group that Ringo was in, the slightly, the uh, Eddie Clayton skiffle group. So they all played this song when they were, when they were younger back in Liverpool. Yeah, and we get another call back to John and Paul's early songwriting days in the bonus discs on disc two, there's a version of them playing Maggie Mae where they break into uh, a song called Fancy My Chances With You. 
Uh, which was, yeah, a song they wrote probably 58, definitely before 1960. It made its first appearance on the Let It Be bo- Naked bonus disc. But this has them sort of segueing from a song that had been around forever to one they wrote very early on. And you can hear them kind of chuckle when one of them starts singing it. And I'm sure that was just sort of like bringing up all those old memories of, you know, Paul always talks about them sitting around near the living room with his dad's piano or like around the fireplace there on Forthland Road. Or in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Lest we forget uh, the sound in the bog, as Paul likes to say. Um, that was like maybe 10 years before this. It was not even that long before they, uh, you know, are making this album. Seriously, remember 10 years ago? Like I was still probably on my third iPhone by then. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> It's like, I have genes older than that. Like, my God. Exactly. (laughs) That's crazy. But the song sounds, obviously, it sounds amazing. Like, this is going to be a spoiler. Like, the whole album sounds great. But, you know, this is always a fun one. A little jammer. Giles Martin gave it the same treatment he gives to the rest of the album. So you can hear some really new and fun things in the way the voices and instruments kind of play with each other throughout the song. Yeah. Let's see. I've got a feeling. One of my favorites. This was the first one on the album that was taken from the live concert outside. That just blew my mind when Giles reminded us that half this album was done outside in January Mm -hmm. on a roof. And it sounds like that. (laughs) Dude, I know. In the book, the track by track, as we're calling it, but has essays and other things. Glenn Johns kind of describes how they rigged up the system to tape on the roof. And it's like, so he was running the boards down the basement. They're sort of running all these cords down to the basement of the Apple building on Savile Street there in London while the Beatles were playing on the roof. And it's like, dude, I cannot believe how they jerry-rigged the system. And it still sounded great. I mean, I'm sure it took a lot of polishing and, you know, uh, the Glenn Johns mixes. You can hear the most untouched version, I'm sure. But that even sounds great, you know, for what it was. It's amazing. And just what total geniuses they were i mean they were they performed this live so perfectly definitely the first time they'd ever performed it live probably one of the first times they performed it start to finish because they had done all of this in like a three-week time period they had the addition of billy preston which yes he was (laughs) playing is just out of this world on this song Yes, please, Billy Preston. Oh, my God. Give me more Billy Preston. Damn. Like, side note, also in the trailer for the doc, how cute is Billy Preston? He is a little baby child. He's a little cherub. (laughs) He has just got one of those smiles that light up the room. I know. In the photos that are in the box. He's so cute. I just, uh, what a talent. Again, another reason why I'm so glad that they're doing all of this stuff, because... Billy Preston brought some joy to this time period for them. And this mix captures that. You can hear how much fun they're having. Certainly the the trailer captures that, the script in the coffee table book. You can just hear that he brought, he elevated their interactions with more positivity. You could really hear it. Yeah. 
you can hear it in the performance too. There's one point, I think I marked it as one minute, 42 seconds. Like Paul, you can literally hear that he's laughing and it's always, been, it's <laughs> always been there, but it, it seems like it kind of pops a little bit. Just this feeling of electricity and joy that this mix has. Absolutely. And something that I, I don't know, it's one of those things as a Beatles fan, you sort of take for granted because we have songs like We Can Work It Out, which is a classic example, or A Day in the Life, where it's a John and a Paul, John song and a Paul song, and they put them together and they work. Here we have a really good example of that with, you know, Paul's thing is I've got a feeling. He's talking about Linda. He's talking about getting to know her, really excited. And then John comes in with everybody's had a hard year because, yes, John absolutely had a hard year in 1968. <laughs> yeah, there was the government, there was the miscarriage, there was a lot of bad stuff, there was the drug bust. Yeah, he had a real bad time in 68, but I just never thought of it. I was like, but, you know, I, I just, yeah, I always took it for granted. But hearing this and reading in the track by track, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is another Paul, John and Paul, like, mashup. It's, it's always fun to kind of realize that because it always worked with them. And Paul has said, you know... If we didn't like each other's songs, we wouldn't have ever put them together like that. But we sort of trusted each other. And that's why you have these different, like these dichotomies that exist in their music sometimes. And this is a perfect example of that. That's a really good point. And then another vote for, yes, I'm so glad they're doing this. Another reason why, because again, we're kind of seeing it wasn't all misery and strife, either creatively or personally. They could still work together in this way. Exactly. And not to mention that Paul still plays this live. Yes. Yes, he does. You're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that will tell you something about this song and from this period in time, you know, that he chooses to revisit it. I totally forgot about that. That's because I haven't yeah. seen Paul in a long time. And I know. I really hope he goes out on tour as soon as COVID allows. Please, Paul, please, please, mm. please. <laughs> Uh, well, let's move on to one after 909. Let's go back in time once again. This brings us back to like the Mersey sound. I mean, 1961 Beatles, like it just sounds so fresh. This is one, another one, like I Wanna Be Your Man that they offered to the Stones and the Stones said, put that in your pipe and smoke it because we're not doing it. Hmm. I'm sure they said exactly that. Um, but yeah, so the Stones turned this guy down, which, uh, okay, that, that's fair. But I'm so glad the Beatles dug it out of their, you know, their songbook, Melinda McCartney's songbook and put it on this album. Oh, me too. It's so super joyous. It's so much fun. Again, you can hear them laughing and smiling through the whole thing. And, you know, we, we get more amazing Billy Preston Ugh. on this track. And there's a version on disc two where George Martin suggested, why don't you do a take with Billy just playing regular piano instead of electric piano? And um, it sounds amazing. It's a very like, I think Paul, you know, compares this to like a Ray Charles vibe, which Paul is very like invested in Ray Charles at this point. Like yes. he you know wanted ray charles to do a lot of these songs so that makes sense um but you know billy sadly couldn't get a giant piano up on the roof so he had to play the you know the littler more portable electric piano you mean they didn't just have mal carry it on his back up the stairs 
I'm sure they fucking would have. Like, <laughs> poor Mal. I know. He would have tried, <laughs> too. I love that guy. Well, now we get to one of the big dogs on this this disc, The Long and Winding Road. Yes, perhaps the most overproduced, <laughs> uh, at least to Paul. This was a very big deal, the Spectre version. I think this was the main reason he was so pissed off. This is the reason oh, yeah. he tried to sue people over this thing. This is the reason we got Let It Be Naked. This. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was it. Long and Winding Road, huge deal. In the uh, book that comes with the deluxe edition, there is a repro of the letter that Paul sent to Alan Klein, I believe, saying, don't ever fuck with my music again. Uh, he gave him a list of things to do, which was to cut back the strings, the instrumentation, and move up the Beatles' music, and, uh, like their own playing and their vocals. And yeah, the, the last item on the list was done over to this again. I love and it. he CC'd Phil Spector and, uh, and John Eastman, his lawyer. So oh, <laughs> he's pretty he was pissed. pissed. <laughs> he was livid, livid about how Long Winding Road turned out. You know, I don't disagree. I mean, yeah. Phil Spector was right. The song needed something. I think it's a little bit too sparse in Let It Be Naked. It's, you know, in that way, it's a little bit weird. But I don't yeah. know if it needed like a creepy Halloween choir. Like it feels <laughs> creepy Halloween it choir. It feels <laughs> it feels like supernatural and a little bit like ee, icky. I don't know. I don't. I feel like I've got like ghosts behind me when I listen to it. I don't know why. <laughs> is this like should we do a Halloween episode on the horror that is Long and Winding Road? Oh my God! Everybody <laughs> has to dress up like Phil Spector with the wig. Oh Christ! <laughs> I don't think the world can withstand like that much fear. <laughs> terrifying well he did his thing he did what he was brought in to do if you're gonna ask phil specter to do it you you know shouldn't be surprised that this is what you get of course that's not what paul wanted which is part of the reason he was so pissed off but it also goes back to the alan klein stuff so yeah yeah it was all a big mess by that point especially you know because that i think paul sent that letter in early 1970 right before or after, you know, he was suing the Beatles. So it was just a whole clusterfuck at that point anyway. And I'm sure this did not help at all. But you're right. You know, if you ask Phil Spector to do it, you got to expect the wall of sound treatment. I know of bands and this from the 60s who turned down Spectre. Spectre wanted to produce them. And they said, absolutely not. Because they knew what they were going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, and not that Paul had a say in it when Alan Klein tapped Spectre to do it. But I can't imagine his first time hearing Let It Be with all the, everything in the kitchen sink, you know, tacked onto it. It was taken out of his hands. And, you know, he hated that so much. But it also just wasn't, it wasn't Paul's style. It wasn't, it wasn't what he used to get with George Martin. You know, it wasn't that like collaborative thing that in the end brought about a certain feeling. You know, Paul just didn't, 
he didn't have a say. And yeah. yeah. But when Giles took it over, I think that like he he had even said in, when we talked to him a few weeks ago that this was one of the songs that was, I think, the most labor intensive. And I think that the result was great because the balance yeah. between Paul's voice and Paul's piano and all of that stuff in the background is is much, much more even. And it sounds much more balanced and intentional than it does in the original. Right. And I think that's a good word to describe this album, I would say, is balanced. Because overall, you know, we talked to Giles about this. It's like, how did you how do you find that medium between, you know, Let It Be Naked and, you know, the specterized version? How do you find the balance between a song like Long Winding Road, which has been overproduced to death, and something like Dig It or something where it's like them just jamming? The original Let It Be just vacillates so much between extremes. But really what Giles has done has made it much more balanced. And in a way, that's what his father always did. Because like the yeah. White, White Album had exactly the same structure of songs varying widely from one to the next in style and tone and length and editing. But what it had was this overlay of George Martin normalizing everything, putting a gloss on it, putting his own unique style on it. And in this one, you have some demos, you have some live you have some with the you know the phil specter wall of sound stuff it's really all over the place in a way that no other beatles album was yeah so long and winding road definitely benefited a lot from these remixes for sure and next for you blue one of the more overlooked songs on this album yeah i was gonna say this is one of my little superstars i love this song so much i think this is one of george's best Oh, yeah. And he's not being salty, George. He's being like fun, George, you know, can't even call this the blues, even though it's 12 bar, which he, you know, lets us know. Yes. (laughs) But it is it's very upbeat. (laughs) I feel like there's the George that gets really salty and gets really pissed off at stuff. Rightly so. I mean, taxes suck and egotism sucks. And, you know, he's a spiritual man. That's wonderful. But when he really gets into his like guitar geek mode. Like, I love that side of George because that's yeah. that's music. That's like just him being all musical. And there's this part and I, I don't know what Giles did, but it's right at the beginning when that electric slide guitar comes in. And like, I don't know, it gave me that feeling of like if you're on an elevator and it drops really fast, or you're on a roller coaster, like it just like, oh, oh, my God. Like, I don't know why. Like, it was just like, I even if I listen to it again and again, it gives me that feeling of like this weird swooping thing. I don't know how it's done. Because you're sweet and lovely, girl. I love you. Because you're sweet and lovely, girl. It's true. I love you more than. That's Mr. Lennon on the lap seal there, I think. Yeah. That's great. Like, yeah, he kicks ass on this song on the lap seal for sure. Ah, and it was just brought out in s- such a way that it just like jump starts the song. And it, oh my God, I could listen to it a million times. I know. It's so good. And I, and also I learned something. I always thought those staccato notes that make the song just pop for me. I always thought they were just being picked on like an acoustic or electric guitar, but it's actually Paul. Uh, playing the piano and they sort of transformed a, a regular keyboard or whatever into like a tack piano by putting paper 
<laughs> between the hammers and the strings at the top end of it. So when the actual piano part comes in, it doesn't sound like that because they don't have the, you know, they didn't put Jerry rig out with the paper, but they did at the top. So when he's playing, you know, with his right hand at the top of the keyboard, it has that like staccato note sound, which I think is so cool. That is so cool. Again, what can the man not do? <laughs> okay, Paul, you, you got this one too, because that was pretty cool. <laughs> really? Yeah, that was great. And now we come to the end. Wow, we are getting back to where once belonged. That made no sense, but we're at Get Back. This is Get Back. <laughs> Which follows the same uh, theme as everything else. Getting back to where we once belonged just ties it up so nicely. Oh, wow. That puts a bow, a nice little bow on your tracking, Erica. love this song so much um and this was one and i'm sure we will see this in the peter jackson film um paul sort of had an intention to write a song in the studio he wanted to sort of have it documented like the beginning to the end like basically from inception to the rooftop was sort of his vision and so this was a song that resulted from that so i'm sure we'll see that evolution in the film which will be very exciting because it's such a it is such a kick-ass song I was surprised to learn that they did not use the rooftop versions for the album, any of it, because I always think of Get Back on the rooftop. That's one of the, you know, oh, yeah, the me iconic, too. iconic moments. Yeah. But um, this is all done in the studio. So I learned that. Yeah. The rhythm section on this is crazy, right? Mm hmm. I don't really have a lot to say about it other than as awesome as it was. It's more awesome. It's I don't awesomer. Know. It's just so, it just it's got so, better. Yeah, it's just so hard driving, like it hits you in the face. This song reminded me nothing beats Paul's bass slap. Honestly, it's like sh- like that guy. We all know he revolutionized bass playing insofar as making it a more melodic, you know, an instrument capable of handling a more melodic placement in a song. But damn, yes, this is just so good. It's so good, and the remix just makes it better. Again, what can the man not do? <laughs> okay, if you're playing a drinking game, uh, if, now's a good time to start. You should go back to the beginning of the episode because you will be drunk by now. So every time Erica says, what can the man not do? There we go. I mean, this is, this is the general feeling of this podcast usually. Yes, about that's Paul. it. That's the, pod, that's the podcast. <laughs> So we come to the end of the CD, but not the end of the Let It Be mix of the Let It Be box set. There's a lot more here. Yes, there is so much more to talk about. My goodness, we have all kinds of stuff. A lot of it had been kind of circulating through the years. And, you know, we do hear them sort of try out some of their solo material. I thought it was very interesting because they do include like a snippet of Give Me Some Truth of John sort of playing that but I feel like and I was gonna look this up before recorded I did not sorry guys I forgot um but I feel like there is a snippet on the Abbey Road deluxe or box set where they're playing Give Me Some Truth and Paul is sort of suggesting lyrics 
And I always thought it was fascinating because Paul never got a writing credit on Give Me Some Truth. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. So it's funny, yeah, that it crops up here, too. Huh. I'll figure it out. Don't worry. One part of me is saying, wow, they really just kept carrying these songs through and through. And then the other part of me is like, it was four months. Of course, they're still working on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 100%. It is interesting to hear. I really do like hearing them play the things that ended up on, on their solo albums as Beatles songs. It's a window into what it would have been like had they stayed together in the 70s and what it would have been to have all four of them collaborating on these things that ended up being, you know, solo masterpieces for them. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the George stuff, you know. I loved the demo or rehearsal, I guess, of All Things Must Pass, where he and John are sort of talking it out um, on the bonus discs bonus here. I thought that was really cool. They should have given George more. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was thinking to myself, like, why was I Me Mine picked for this over, you know, All Things Must Pass? Why didn't All Things Must Pass end up, you know, on Abbey Road? Like, it's just oh, such a fucking great song. And obviously amazing album i mean no, one, no album. wonder george walked out yeah he's like i'll show you fuckers yeah and he seriously did. <laughs> he did i know <laughs> which we'll have to we'll have to get to we'll have to get to we yes, actually had a listener yes. suggest that we should talk about all things must pass and i totally agree because that is extremely let it be adjacent perfect for this season yes oh my gosh i would love to i'm so sad we missed our chance when it got reissued but um yeah like that's I mean, when when is not a good time to talk about all things must pass? It always is. I would imagine album. next month is a great time to talk about all things must pass. And maybe Let's we will. do it. All right. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I tell you what, I didn't like was the mix of Teddy Boy on the Glenn Johns version. I thought that Paul's McCartney version was a lot better. That makes sense. I mean, you know, obviously. Paul on his version is in charge of everything, <laughs> particularly at that point in his career. Mm-hmm. Where he was like, fuck all y'all. I'm doing my own thing. But yeah, I could see that. I like the pared down version that Paul does. I think it, it's just too simple of a song to have like the Beatles treatment in a way. It's just didn't, it didn't sit right. But I guess they agreed because they cut it. So as far as the extended version goes, we're not going to go through everything because we would be here all night. But I do want to call out disc five, which I think I already have. But out of all of those things, that was my favorite gem of the extended version because it was just it was just four songs. And with the first one being Glyn John's Across the Universe mix, which I love that version. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the most authentic version where the where the backing vocals and the instrumentation just merges with the feel that John gives the song and it's also the one where you know teenager Apple Scruffs, Lizzie Bravo and Gaylene Pease are singing this high version of the chorus and they only left yes. it in here and it's it's really like it's kind of haunting it's it's a very cool addition to the song and I, I just love knowing that they were in there like the whole story behind it makes the song even even more special when I hear it like that. And then the other things on there were Glenn John's I Me Mine mix and the Giles Martin versions of Don't Let Me Down, which I always forget was not on the original album, but it was the B-side to the Get Back single. I mean, to me, that's like the quintessential let it be on the rooftop like that and get back. That's what you think of. And it wasn't even on the album. I forgot about that as well. And yeah, that, that is always a buried fact in my mind. They did want to be 
very true to the original album, which is, I guess, why it ended up being still part of the extra material instead of folded in into the, you know, the track setting. But I think I think it's kind of a shame that it's not there because when people are listening to this album, it is kind of buried and it shouldn't be. It's great. Yeah. On that note, too, I loved um, the first rooftop performance of Don't Let Me Down in the bonus material. Yes. I thought that was great. And, you know, at one point, John forgets the lyrics, and he sort of makes them up, but it's, it adds a lot of fun to it. Um, very charming. And again, it's like, I, I always, it amazes me how well they're able to capture sound on the roof. Like, that is just insane to me. Overall, I feel like this is a great leap forward in, I think, how we think about Let It Be and this period altogether. Like, I mean, to me personally, I never really liked listening to the things in this period. I associated with the film and it's so miserable and it's about the breakup and it's the end. And it's not it's not any of those things, really. I mean, if they are talking about the breakup and the divorce and there's certainly some dialogue in the film about you know, about Yoko and Paul talking about like, well, what are we going to do about this? And, you know, had a very interesting prescient comment about, you know, 50 years from now, they're going to say the Beatles broke up because Yoko sat on an amp. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Paul. You were right. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately. But, you know, that is all there, but there's so much more there. And it's, it's not the end. It's two months after the White Album was released and two months before Abbey Road started. You know, it's it's not a breakup album, but it's a transition album. And that is really, I think, captured here. You know, the transition in the styles and in the places they perform these albums and or these songs and, you know, the various levels of finishedness of some of the different songs. You know, it's just so, it's very raw in that way. And this mix, I think, helps us see that. It's more yeah. than what we thought it was. Totally. And I think also it's, you know, like you say, Erica, it's between the White Album and Abbey Road. It's kind of them woodshedding in a lot of ways, you know, sort of cleansing their palate for what would come next, which is Abbey Road, which is a glorious album. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're sort of it's kind of like them rebounding before they make this masterpiece. Um, and if you view it like that, it does take on a bit of a different context. Yet it really is them learning how to get back. You know, if you think mm. about it, they had their psychedelic period and then they had their India period and they're like, we want to get back to our roots. But then they're kind of like, well, how do we do that? You know, Brian is gone and we're kind of leaderless. And what do we do now? And so they like there were a lot of bumps in the road in trying to figure out what it kind of meant for them to go to get back and to be authentic. And I think they really found that in Abbey Road. But, yeah. And and let and let it be this period is is watching them get there. I think that's all true. I think also, you know, any opportunity to capture the joy of this period is so great. Um, one of the things that I loved is uh, I think they were rehearsing some of the songs that would end up on Abbey Road. And they're basically sending Mal out for lunch. And John and George just request whatever the veg is for the day. Not a big deal. And George is like, but you can, can you get some cheese sauce for the cauliflower? (laughs) I was like, wow, Beatles, they're just like us. Who doesn't like a good cheese sauce? Fuck yeah. So those like moments, you know, are really like, it's kind of humanizing in a really good way because we sort of like, 
you know, this this period of the Beatles is often thought of as verboten. So it's cool to like, yeah, just get a reminder like, yep, they're just they're still just the guys, you know. Yeah. And going back to the film, I think whatever they did to brighten up the film footage, I think is going to oh my do God. a lot to make that come through because the original film footage was so dark. So dark, so grainy. It was just so like, yeah. it it was decrepit looking. It really was. Oh, it was so miserable. And you can't even yeah. find the thing. So it's like always on some bootleg and it's just such <laughs> terrible condition. <laughs> Dude, I know. I think I got like a torrent of it like 15 years ago. And I was like, this sucks. Like the quality is just bad. Yeah, they used to play it at the fest, but they wouldn't call it Let It Be because you weren't supposed to have it. It was called like they'd always post it like we're going to show Beatles in 69. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's just like dark and dirty and uh, like you said, verboten. But this is so much better. Yeah, I'm really I'm here for this like big like let it be re-energizing energy. I think it's so, I think it's very cool. And that, that's like the point of these remixes, you know, like we talked about Giles, it's like the freshening up of things. And it's great to be able to revisit these little pockets of the Beatles history via these albums, you know, starting with Sgt. Pepper. And I hope to God almighty, he goes back and does the early albums because come on revolver. I, I know it's going to be tricky, but I gotta have a revolver set. <laughs> but so it's cool you know it is like sort of breathing new life into not just the music but also the story and it's so valuable yeah i cannot wait until the film comes out oh Oh, i know oh my god can't wait in the meantime we have this coffee table book it's incredible it's mostly just dialogue filled with pictures it's like you can kind of create your own like visual narrative in your head as you're reading the dialogue so you can make your own little let it be movie in your mind as you're as you're reading this book which i like fun yeah because there's so many new pictures and the pictures clearly like go along like they were taking so many pictures of each day and the pictures you know illustrate what was happening in each of those conversations Mm -hmm. very cool yeah i mean that's what happens when you know your bass player marries a wonderful photographer yes so you get lots of new pictures all the time i know it's great i'm surprised that these are new like that we haven't seen them before because we've seen so many collections of Linda's photos, but these ones are pretty new. A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think they went back and mined her archives, which thanks guys. That's awesome. Amazing. So final thoughts on the releases that we got this week. Great. More please. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, we're so blessed. We're hashtag blessed. Whatever it is that Giles Martin does, however he does it, he knows how to take something that we've been listening to for, you know, our entire, you know, older than older than we are, something that people have been listening to their entire lives and make it new. I have one unfulfilled wish for this album is that there had been a couple of alternate takes where Giles maybe stripped out the Phil Spector orchestrations and sort of channeled his dad working with Paul and Ringo to like, what would your what would your vision have been for this song had you been able to start over and do it with a producer, not naked, but had George Martin been there producing, what would it have sounded like? Because I feel like there there is still that, maybe it's just like musical fanfic, but <laughs> I still feel like there's that thing, like I want to <laughs> know. I want to know what George Martin would have done with it. And I feel like the closest thing we ever could have gotten is right now is Giles working with Paul and Ringo as if it was a new song. But, you know, that wasn't the direction they went in. But 
I would have loved to see. Yeah, that would have been cool. That would have been great. It doesn't take away from the brilliance of, of everything that's been released, though. It's it's still, it's excellent. Yes, get your get your copies wherever you buy music. Get the book wherever. And like we said, there's a special edition at Target with the lobby cards and so much goodness. And it's only the beginning of Let It Be season. Oh my gosh, I know. We have we have to wait more than a month for this film, uh, but it's going to be worth it. Oh, but in the meantime, we're going to have a lot of Let It Be era themed shows for y'all, so we'll be yes. making it exciting, I hope. Hell, hell yes. This episode of BC the Beatles is sponsored by Pictures2Digital.com. As Beatles fans, we're so lucky that all that original footage was saved and digitized so we can see masterpieces like the new Let It Be. But what about your personal memories? If you have piles of photos, videotapes, or even slides documenting your family history, make sure they're protected for generations by digitizing them at Pictures2Digital.com. Pictures to Digital can digitize nearly any type of media, catalog it for you, and deliver your memories via flash drive or the cloud service of your choice. And now, Pictures to Digital has a special offer for our listeners. Use the code BEATLES15 at checkout to get 15% off any order. Book now to receive your digital memories in time for the holidays. That's code BEATLES15 for 15% off. Save space, reduce clutter, and keep your precious memories accessible and protected for life. Pictures to digital. That's pictures, the number two, digital.com. For memories that last a lifetime. And now we move on to the last segment of our show, which we like to uh, address, where we like to address our latest Beatles obsession. Erica, you want to kick it off? Sure. So I found out a day or two ago that the Beatles are finally officially on TikTok. Oh, shit. Yeah. Follow them at the Beatles. They have a couple of promo videos out right now, and they've also released 36 Beatles songs that TikTok users can use to soundtrack their videos. 12 songs from Let It Be, plus a number of Beatles hits spanning the entire Beatles career. So 36 new songs. And they're also um, integrating this with their Let It Be marketing. There will be exclusive content on TikTok from both the unreleased archival footage from the film and also new interviews with Paul and Ringo. So if you use TikTok, be sure to follow it. And I do need to mention that for all y'all who make the McLennan TikToks, and there are so many of you. Oh my God, I've never seen the McLennan TikTok. Oh, oh there's Christ. so much. I gotta dive into that. So two of us has been released for TikTok. So I cannot wait to see what you all do with that. I will be following all your <laughs> McLennan accounts and go at it. That's very funny. <laughs> oh, well, I'm excited. I just followed them. I didn't realize they are on TikTok now, but yeah. You McLennan people, it's a good day for you. It's a good day. It really is. And it's a good day for us because it's a good day for them. Allison, what are you obsessed with this week? I feel like it's a little bit more personal to you than mine was. <laughs> well, so I went to see the Stones on Thursday. They're also playing uh, this weekend here in LA. But I love, first of all, the show is fucking great. I always love to see the Stones. But Mick Jagger had a little comment on uh, on stage 
referencing something that Paul had said earlier this week in the New Yorker. So Paul gave an interview and he, they sort of slipped this quote in. They didn't really feature it, didn't really blow it up. But uh, of course, the internet took it and ran with it. And uh, Paul was explaining that the Beatles had a very wide range of musicality, you know, dabbled in a lot of genres. And he called the Stones uh, a blues cover band. Ooh, them's fighting <laughs> words. Them's real fighting words. And I mean, to be fair, sure, they started out like that. They did a lot of blues and R&B covers. But, you know, the band's had a consistent career for um, like 60, 70 years, you know. So I think they've kind of moved past that. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, Paul said that the Beatles, quote unquote, net was cast a bit wider than theirs as far as the uh, the scope of their of their music. Does he have to? Does he have to? <laughs> Yeah, I guess this man can do everything, including um, reignite like a 50-year-old competition, which may or may not exist, depending on who you talk to. What can't the man do? What can't the man do? Uh, Well, so Thursday uh, on stage, Mick was sort of naming off famous people in the audience. Like he's like Megan Fox is here, Lady Gaga. He said Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell's dead. So, okay, Mick. Um, Ooh. And he also name-checked Gavin Newsom, our governor, and he got booed. Felt bad for him. Oh, no. Uh, but he is kind of he's kind of a shithead, so whatever. Um, but then he's like, you know, Paul McCartney's here, and he's going to join us for a blues cover. Oh. So it's like... But here's the thing. It's like when he said Paul McCartney, everybody started screaming because we thought Paul was going to come on stage and do something with them. <laughs> and so hardly anybody heard the little jab. Like, I had to look it up... Uh, you know, online afterwards, but then I was like, oh, shit, that's great. Well, that really, like, backfired in Mick's face, didn't it? Because not only did he, we lost, you lost the snark and all the cheering, but everybody couldn't wait to see Paul come out. That was not that's, the point oh of gosh. his comment. That's so true. Aww. That really, that probably chopped his ass, but yeah. I thought it was great. So, yeah, there, I the Paul responds back. I won't keep going. Like, I'm into it. So, yeah, I would say that Paul and Mick Jagger's uh, beef, I suppose, is my highlight this week. <laughs> it would be mine, too, if I'd seen that live. Damn. It's freaking great. I'm. It's like, what year is it? This is awesome. Oh, my God. They just, they can't let it go. They can't let it be. They oh. just can't let it be. Oh, oh I've seen oh. too many articles with that play on words this week. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> or like I think the New Yorker headline was Paul McCartney really doesn't want to stop the show and I'm like oh that's a Dr. Pepper reference no anyway. it was bad yeah I saw that too it made me not want to read the New Yorker article actually <laughs> I didn't read it I'm gonna say it. I didn't read it because I was just like oh I had so many people send it to me like text it to me and I'm like I'm not gonna read this it's like I could probably tell you everything that Paul talks about well I mean there was the groundbreaking news that came out of it that oh my god John wanted the divorce and he said it first holy shit oh my god i can't even get into that because this is the end of the show i have so many thoughts and feels (sighs) i'm getting worked up just thinking about it so i think we need to say goodbye (laughs) we'll save that for maybe our next let it be installment yeah all right (laughs) yeah so (sighs) okay well thank you guys (laughs) for listening to because the beatles and next time next week we've got a really cool show we're going to be joined for the first time which is crazy um by our good buddy uh sarah schmid of meet the beatles for real wonderful wonderful lady 
Um, and we're going to be celebrating the life of Lizzie Bravo and the Apple Scruffs. And, you know, we met last week that we lost Lizzie recently. Huge blow to the Beatles community. Uh, but we're going to be remembering her next week with Sarah. Anyway, as always, subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening right now. And please give us a rating or review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. Remember, you can always email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye. Bye.